0: Good morning. I'd like you to turn with me to um, Isaiah chapter 26. As we come to this passage, this is actually the middle of a cantata. You know what a cantata is? A cantata is a um, musical piece with drama and orchestra and choruses and solos and Lots of um, drama. And actually, this cantata starts in chapter 24 and runs through chapter 27 of Isaiah. And as we get into this, it's a tremendous dramatic story of God bringing His final judgment upon the earth, of taking the kingdoms and the, the rebelliousness of, and sin of man and bringing judgment finally to it and bringing salvation to his people, and it's a tremendous picture. This passage in Isaiah has been compared to Daniel and Revelation. It's apocalyptic. And as we look at it, we find here there's a um, description of the judgment of God coming that is just tremendously dramatic in the first chapter. And then it goes into a song of praise, a wonderful song of praise as God will dry up every tear and we will feast upon his holy mountain. It's a passage you're probably familiar with because it gets referred to a lot. And then after chapter 26, which we're going to look at this morning, the first part of, we have the dramatic end. This is like the third uh, movie in The Lord of the Rings. The dragon is thrown down. God delivers his vineyard, and God's kingdom is established. But we're not going to look at that part. That's a story for another time. We're going to get into chapter 26, which is actually a little bit more grounded in our world and our time where we are right now. Now, remember I said this is a cantata. The first verse says this is a song. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it. The feet of the poor, the steps of the needy are trampling this city. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you, for when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire of your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray. O Father, we ask that your spirit would now, in our midst, fill us with understanding of your word would speak to us, Father, of your grace and your goodness and our salvation, would encourage us and help us to know that you are with us, you are guarding us and keeping us close to you. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. Everybody know what shalom means? means peace. Shalom is the subject of our sermon this morning or rather, what shalom accomplishes in our lives. And you know, I've been away from here quite a bit in the last few months because I've been preaching at the Westminster Church, who's been without a pastor. And you know, when you're an intermittent or occasional preacher, it's hard to do a series like Nate does. Because, you know, you're there for a couple of weeks, and you're gone for two or three weeks, then you're back again. So I basically have been doing a series on some of the key words in Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, um, looking at each of those words in terms of their Old Testament context. Um, I preached on hope from Proverbs 13. I preached on love from Psalm 119. I preached on joy from Psalm 126 and, and mercy from Psalm 119. And I preached on God dwelling with us from the Psalm 132. It's one of the Psalms of Ascent, but it's the only one that is messianic. But today our subject is peace. Now, another thing about my series that I did is I call it the song series because I kind of related each passage to music. We had a love song. We even had some blues. When I preached on mercy, we looked at the blues. There's a duet in Psalm 132. Song of joy, a praise song, a very simple praise song from Psalm 126. But when it came to looking for peace in the Old Testament to find a good passage to help us understanding the concept of shalom, I came to this passage and lo and behold, I'm in a cantata. <laughs> wow. I mean, this is, this is quite a production. You know, this is no simple praise song. And like, typical of Isaiah, there's a lot in these words, a lot in this text. Probably the most significant verse that stands out to most of you, and many of you have probably even memorized this verse, is verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. you remember, Any of you memorized that one? Learned that one? Thought about that one? Another verse that kind of goes along with this is in the New Testament is Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace, shalom. Now, to many people in the world, peace is the absence of conflict. It's something we don't see very much of right now. I mean, you turn on the evening news, another shooting, another demonstration, another riot, rockets hitting Jerusalem and airstrikes hitting Gaza. Everywhere we look, there's an absence of peace. They look upon peace as if, well, it's it's an absence of conflict. It's serenity. But the word shalom doesn't exactly mean that. And when God talks about the peace that we have, he's not saying that we're going to be free from conflict. He's saying that he is with us in the midst of that conflict. Jesus says in um, John chapter 16, verse 33, I say these things to you, and we're going to talk about what he said in a few minutes, that in in me you may have peace, in the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, has a different sense. It's not a sense of an absence of conflict, but rather the idea of wholeness, of completion, of fulfillment. Um, We have peace with God our relationship with him is established it's firm it's we have an unimpaired relationship we can go through the the curtain in the temple there's nothing that separates us from god because christ has taken away every barrier we have peace in our relationship with god we have peace with one another jesus is our priest he's broken down the barriers between us nate has emphasized this in a number of sermons lately the fact that that we have A peace that really does pass understanding. The world doesn't understand it. But the idea of shalom is very significant, especially in the Old Testament. And here we have perfect peace. It's interesting, in the Hebrew, it's actually shalom, shalom. They repeat the word, shalom, shalom. When they do that in Hebrew, it adds emphasis. It adds a thump. Shalom. We have peace, and that peace is guarding our hearts in the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're sitting here thinking, wait a minute. The word peace is here in the text. It's there in verse 3. It's there in verse 12. I don't see anything about the Holy Spirit. The peace that guards our hearts that the Scripture speaks about is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, perhaps you don't see the Holy Spirit explicitly stated here, but the Holy Spirit quite often in scriptures likes to take, be behind the scenes. But he's here. And I think as we begin to look at what peace in this passage is described as, you'll see that the Holy Spirit is an integral part of every aspect of the things that God is doing. Look at what Isaiah teaches us about peace. First of all, he teaches us that in, with our peace with God gives us security, the security of salvation. We have a strong city. He has set up salvation as the walls and bulwarks. We are secure. We are safe. Something that I'm sure many people in the Holy Land are wishing they they had. It's been very rugged two weeks for them as rockets and bombs and buildings have collapsed and many have been set homeless and stuff. They wish they had a city that was safe, protected. And here we have a strong city. God has set up his city on Mount Zion. As you read through the rest of this cantata, you realize that God is saying, here's my city. Its walls are impregnable. It's Built on the salvation that I have accomplished. No one can touch my people when they're protected by those walls. And then there are gates because a castle needs to have a gate. Usually a castle, and there are many castles in, in Europe is up on a hill and it's fortified and it's got gates and around it is the village, the community. And when danger comes, the people rush to the castle. They go in through the gates, and the gates are closed, and it's protected. Here we see gates on this strong city, and those gates are for the righteous nation that keeps faith. You know, we can really trust in God. He's a strong, everlasting rock but he humbles those who are sinful. The lofty city is laid low, it's ground down to the dust, it's the feet are trampled at the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy, they're going to walk all over those things. And we look at those gates, this castle, and we realize we don't really belong inside that city. We have not lived up to the righteousness that God demands That's why we need a savior. That's why God has provided us his son and through his son has accomplished everything we need to go through those gates. But how do we go through those gates? It's the work of the spirit. Let me comment about salvation just quickly here. Peace is salvation. As you look at scripture and you look at the various verses in scripture, you find, first of all, it's the work of God. It's a covenant of peace, a covenant of peace that's described for us in Isaiah and Ezekiel and other places. God has created a covenant, a promise that through the salvation that he provides, we will be delivered from all that keeps us from him. So God has made a covenant, and then he provided his Son. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We have a Savior, and then we have the Spirit of God, which brings us to that Savior, that brings us to our God, that enables us to be born again. You must be born again. How can this happen? It's the work of God's Spirit. It's the work of God's Spirit to bring regeneration of our hearts, to enable us to turn from our sin, to repent and embrace our Savior and trust in Him. The righteousness we have is not ours. It's His. But in order to have that, we have to embrace it and trust in it. That's the work of the Spirit. As we come to the gates of this city, it's the Spirit that brings us there. It's the Spirit who gives the effectual calling, that calls us to the Savior and invites us to the gates, invites us into God's strong city. God is given us the Prince of Peace, which is his Son. And he gives us the Spirit of Peace. Uh, We just sang a few minutes ago about holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, we ended up blessed Trinity. Salvation is the work of the whole Trinity. It's the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't emphasize too much the work of the Spirit, but we've got to recognize that this is a part of our peace, that God's Spirit is providing us with peace. Secondly, we have to see here that peace guards our hearts, and is our stay along the way. You know what a stay is? You well, know the old sailing ships, the big tall masts, they have stays. Perhaps most of us don't know too much about wooden sailing ships and we I don't know, are there any sailors in here? <laughs> a couple The mast has to be up there to hold those sails, and there's a lot of force, a lot of pressure on those sails and on that mast in order to move that ship through the water. The rigging, and there are dozens of terms for aspects of rigging, there are sheets and halyards and lifts, all the ropes, there are hundreds and hundreds of feet of rope, uh, thousands of feet of rope on a sailing ship. But everything depends upon the stays. The stays are the cables that hold that mast steady and strong and in place. A lot of the other stuff, the halyards, haul the yards up, they haul them down. The sheets. You know, if you're out sailing in a in a in a small boat and a squall hits you, you're told to hang on to the rudder and let loose the sheets. The sheets are the things that tie the sails down at the bottom and are used to adjust the sail. And if the wind is going to topple your ship, you let go of the sheets so that the sails can flap rather than the ship turn over. But the stays hold that mast in place. And here it tells us that peace is a stay. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is, his heart is stayed upon you. God has given us his spirit, his peace as a stay as we go through our journey of life. Nowhere in scripture does it promise us that we're going to have a life that's free of suffering, of struggle, of trials, of tribulations. In fact, the Savior makes it very clear, in this world you will have tribulations. But the Spirit of God is our stay. It's the peace. He is the peace. The Spirit is the stay of our peace. He guards us. He goes along with us on the way. The Scripture tells us, Life is anything but level and smooth, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Notice here in our text, the path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. Think about those words a little bit. I've been thinking about them quite a bit. In the path of your judgments. You know, this whole cantata is about judgment. But there are judgments. There are judgments that we experience that are not the final judgment, but certainly God allows the turmoil, the struggles of our lives to minister to us. We'll get into that in a moment. And he takes us through those things. He assures us that he will walk with us. Yea, I go through the valley. Psalm 23, you're with me. God's spirit is with us. As we go through our days, as we go through our nights, as we go through our struggles, we have a stay. We have a guard keeping our hearts. We have peace through the Holy Spirit. He makes it level for us. He brings us through those things. I could quote quite a few different verses on that, but I want to mention Isaiah chapter 57 where it says, Build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the Lord, the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. I will heal him. Isaiah chapter 48, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would be like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. But alas, there's no peace for the wicked. Peter tells us in chapter 4, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests with you. The Spirit is with us in our journey of life. He is our stay. He keeps us close to Him. There's this little aside that falls into this cantata. I think this is a solo. It's very personal. The guy says, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. You know, probably one of those times when we wrestle the most with peace is the middle of the night. Have you ever woke up in the middle of the night and started worrying about something? Did I pay that bill? Have you got teenagers? Are they home yet? There are so many things that in the middle of the night keep us awake. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. In the middle of the night, when that oppression comes... You have peace because the Spirit is there with you. You can reach out to him. The Spirit is caring for you. He's not away from you. God's Spirit is ministering to us even in the darkest, loneliest parts of the night. Peace guards our hearts as well as we are disciplined and learn righteousness. We go on to read here, When your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he doesn't learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly, even when things are great. When things are favorable, when he's prosperous, he still deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. It's an interesting picture here. We know that God brings the things of life into our life in order to teach us, in order to prepare us for his kingdom. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is also a work of sanctification. The scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines like sons. And this is the work of the Spirit in our hearts. Not only does he regenerate us and bring us to God, not only does he walk with us and help us along our way, but he also is sanctifying us. He's teaching us righteousness. I thought that was rather an interesting phrase when I first started wrestling with it. The inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. You know, it'd be so easy if God just kind of took us out of the mess. But I mean, if he takes the wicked out of the mess, does that do any good? Again and again and the scripture tells us that if God granted all the favor in the world, people would still not acknowledge his majesty and his righteousness. Even when he punishes them, they won't acknowledge him. But yet, when God leaves us in the midst of a world that is resisting and rebelling against him, we stand out as beacons of the majesty of God. And it's not, well, we prosper and therefore you ought to become a Christian because that's the prosperity gospel. No, God takes the poor and the needy and the low and the humble and the contrite and the foolish and, and he shows them to the world and says, these are the people I love. And Paul makes it very clear in, in Corinthians that God is not taking the, the proud and the mighty, but he takes the lowly in order that his majesty might shine forth all the more. And when the world looks at us, Struggling along, trusting God, believing in his promises. The Holy Spirit is using us to teach the world the righteousness, the majesty of God. The Holy Spirit. Jesus says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus concludes then, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace, for I have overcome the world. In um, John chapter 14, he reminds us that the helper, the Holy Spirit, which the Father shall send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all I have said. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Look at this. Uh, Right here in uh, verse 8 of Isaiah 26, he says, In the path of your judgments we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. And Jesus says, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I think the Holy Spirit is kind of hiding behind the scenes there in Isaiah 26, don't you? He's at work. He doesn't put himself out. He's the man behind the curtain. For all this wizard, Oz folks you know the the holy spirit is really there he's at work he's emphasizing the lord jesus he's emphasizing the salvation we have he's honoring the lord god but the holy spirit is at work and all through our life the holy spirit is constantly bringing us peace he's guarding our peace he's keeping us safe he's Our stay, he's our certainty, he's teaching us, he's sanctifying us, he's bringing us to the Father, he's opening up the gates, and when we walk in, we'll be the righteous ones whom God has loved. Because a heart and mind that's guarded and stayed by his peace will see the majesty of God. O Lord, your hand is lifted up. They do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. God has done for us all we need to obtain peace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through chapter 5, there's just a lot of references to the Holy Spirit. He's writing to the Corinthians, he says, You are a letter from Christ delivered for us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the Spirit gives life. Chapter 8 and 9 says, Will not the ministry of the Spirit bring even more glory? If there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must exceed it in glory. Verses 17 and 18. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. All this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Second Corinthians 5, verses 4 and 5. For while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we will be unclothed but that we would be further clothed, for what is mortal shall be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Shalom. Peace as I wrestled with this passage, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, if we look at peace as just an idea, as just a promise, how does that help us as we go through our life? You know, we have peace with God. If any man is in Christ, he has peace with God. Well, that's great. That's a statement. And so when we meet this trial, we say, well, I got peace with God. I got a certificate back home in the safe, you know, a promise, a guarantee, Peace is not an idea. Shalom is not simply an idea. It's a person. It's one thing to have a promise. It's another thing to have someone standing beside you, walking with you, guiding you along the way, bringing you finally to where you're going. A faithful companion. And this, I believe is what we have to understand about peace. You know what really brought me to see this was in Isaiah chapter 32, verses 15 through 17. This is what opened my eyes to this whole thing because it says, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fertile field, the fertile field is considered a forest then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness will abide in the fertile field and the work of righteousness will be peace and the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. Then my people will live in peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and undisturbed resting places until the spirit is poured upon us. You know what today is? It's Pentecost Sunday. It's the day, 50 days after the Lord went ascending into heaven, in which he gave his spirit to his people. He poured it out upon his church to carry them all the way to his strong city, to bring them to salvation, to carry them along in their journey. And here we have it in Isaiah chapter 32, until the spirit is poured upon. Out upon us. We really can't know peace. So I hope this morning that you'll realize that you've got the Holy Spirit in your heart. He's with you. He's guarding you. He's keeping you. He's pointing you to Jesus. He's pointing to what Jesus has done. He's pointing you to the Lord God and all the promises God has, but he is there. Praise the Lord. Shalom. Shalom. Perfect peace. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we so often forget that you're with us at every moment, that you're working on our hearts, that you have brought us, who know you, to Christ. You've turned us from our sin. You've helped us to repent. You've helped us to believe. You're working with us, our hearts, and dealing with our our sin that's within us still. You're sanctifying us. You're accompanying us through the trials we face. You continually point us to Jesus. You point us, Father, to his cross, to that complete work that a Prince of Peace has accomplished. And, Father, we do pray that, Lord, you will take us all the way to the gates of glory, that you might be praised. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.